This is Women in STEM Career and Confidence, the podcast for scientific and professional women who want to restore confidence, make meaningful impact, and balance the things and people that mean most to them. I'm Dr. Hannah Roberts, and I'll be sharing with you insights and inspiration into the mindset and skill set to help you navigate your career and lead powerfully. It is my absolute pleasure to introduce our next guest, and that's Nir Eyal. So Nir writes, consults, and teaches about the intersection of psychology, technology, and business. Nir previously taught as a lecturer in marketing at the Stanford Graduate School of Business and the Hasso Platina Institute of Design at Stanford. So Nir has co-founded and sold two tech companies since 2003, and he's the author of two best-selling books, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products, and my all-time favorite, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. I'm always recommending Nir's book to all of my clients. And in this episode, we talk about how being distracted is a decision point and how to make time for traction instead based on your value system. Nir gives some much needed formula for releasing the guilt of taking time to yourself. And he gives an outstanding response to my final question. So do stay tuned for that on self-advice alongside a very valuable answer to one of my community members on how to avoid doom scrolling when your place of work requires you to use that two-factor authentication using your mobile. I can't wait for you to hear all that Nir has to say and do connect with Nir and find out more about his work in the show notes today. Let's dig in. Welcome Nir to the podcast today. It's so great to have you here joining us from Singapore. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And just to give people some context as to how we know each other, we met through a mutual friend and I asked you to read my book, um, STEM uh, Intentional Careers for STEM Women. I should know the title by now. Um, and you agreed to read it and write a prose, prose quote for the front cover of the book, which was amazing for me. And I think my reflection back to you, as I've just said before we came on the podcast, was you really live by your books. In particular, in that case, it was indistractable. I gave you, I asked you to do something, you gave it back within the right time frame, and it was all so smooth. And I'm not actually used to dealing with people in that way. Usually you have to kind of like prompt people a week before and send in all the deadlines, but I was so confident you were going to do it. I just totally relaxed. So thank you so much for living by your principles. Oh, my, my pleasure. And, it, you know, first of all, I didn't always used to be this way <laughs> because <laughs> the reason I wrote Indistractable was because I kept getting distracted. I'll tell you a little secret. It took me five years to write the book because I wow. kept getting distracted while I was writing it. <laughs> so I was patient zero for this book and I wrote it not because I had the answers, but because I was looking for the answers because I needed it more than anyone. And so it was really by starting from first principles to understand what is distraction and how can we overcome it in all areas of our life. Uh, I, I have to tell you, there's there's no facet of my life that has not been improved by my ability to be indistractable. I'm 45 years old, but I'm in the best shape of my life physically. Uh, my mental health is better than ever. My relationship with my family is better. My work output is better. And you can see like when you're reliable, uh, when, when you do what you say you're going to do, People want to work with you. People want to be your friend. People want to hang out with you, right? Everything in your life gets better when you can just do what you say you're going to do. Not, not by living by somebody else's metrics or values, but by living by what's important to you, that your word means something, not only to others, but to yourself. 
Yeah, I really love that. And I think I'm still on the journey to being indistractable. I still get sucked into my phone. In fact, I'm going to cover it up right now so I don't get distracted. Which is totally fine. (laughs) It's it's not something you ever finish, right? It's like like saying, I want to be creative. Well, you're never done being creative, right? You you say you want to be educated. You're never done. You never get a a certificate that says, okay, you don't have to learn anything ever again. I still struggle with distraction, but this is a really important point that a distractible person is very different from an indistractable person in that, as Paola Coelho said, a mistake repeated more than once is a decision. Such a good quote. A mistake repeated more than wow. once is a decision. So if you get distracted once, okay, it happens, right? I still get distracted from time to time, but I don't let this, the distraction trick me into getting distracted again and again and again. How many times can we complain about social media or email or this or that or the other before we say enough, I'm going to do something about it so it doesn't keep happening again and again? I suppose the my kind of answer or question to you then would be, if it is a decision, I guess, is it a conscious or an unconscious decision? Because we can only do something about it once we've got the awareness around that. Terrific question. It's an unconscious decision when it's happening. Okay. It's a conscious decision to not do something about it after it happens. Okay. Right? So you've got the awareness after and you're like, oh, should have done it. Exactly. It, it's okay. It happened. You got distracted. It happens. Uh, the, 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 if, there's, if you really want to paraphrase my research into this book, if you really want one sentence, one mantra that uh, epitomizes everything I learned, it's that the antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. The antidote to impulsiveness is forethought. If you wait till the last minute, if you're on a diet, but the chocolate cake is on the fork, you're going to eat it. If you're trying to quit smoking, but the cigarette is lit in your hand, you're going to smoke it. If you wake up every morning and you pick up your cell phone before you say hello to your loved one, it's too late. They got you, right? Yeah. So you can't leave the decision-making to the last minute. And that's a big error that many people make. They say, oh, it's an unconscious decision. Look, I ju- it's a habit. I just did it. Okay, it happened. Now, what are you going to make sure to do so it doesn't keep happening again and again? So an indistractable person takes steps today to prevent getting distracted tomorrow. And there is no distraction we can't overcome when we plan ahead. Good. I think I'm going to have to make a massive list of all of my my distractions (laughs) and make some decisions around that for sure. But you've also today already talked about living by your values and how all different kind of, as I would say, pillar areas of your life have improved as a result of living by your values. And that shines through in a lot of the articles that you write as well. And in particular, I read one, it was only a couple of weeks ago where you talked about living by your value of learning. And that's how you came about to even be researching and writing books in the first place. So I personally would love to know a little bit more about where you started and how you actually got to this point of living by your values and what happened as a result of that. Yeah, yeah. So let's start with what are values. I define values as attributes of the person you want to become. Attributes that are fine as, uh, sorry, values are attributes of the person you want to become. So what we have to do is to turn our values into time. Why? Because there's two ways to actually see what someone's values are, okay? You, you look at two things. You don't listen to what they say. People can say all kinds of things. That doesn't mean they live by their values. If you want to see what someone's values really are, you look at how they spend their time and how they spend their money right? That is the manifestation of our values, of the people we want to become. Many, Most of us do that unconsciously, right? We spend on this, we give that. And what's funny about this is that money 
is actually a renewable resource, right? But we're so cheap. We all know how to save and scrimp on, on different things to save money, right? People will uh, share checks at lunch with their friends. They'll clip coupons. They'll look for deals. They'll spend so much energy saving a buck or a pound. But when it comes to time, they just give it away to everyone, which is ridiculous. It should be exactly the opposite. We find that most people are stingy with their money and generous with their time. It should be exactly the opposite because you cannot make more time. You can always make more money. You can always make more money. But every human being on the face of the earth gets the same 24 hours. So I don't care if you're Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You still have the very same 24 hours that everybody else gets every day. So we should be very stingy with our time, which most people aren't, right? Oh, this thing's happening in the news. There's this bit of office gossip. Or did you see what's happening on Twitter? Oh, my goodness. I have to respond to every ping, ding, and ring that takes away my time and attention. But that is what we should be very stingy about. So we should be generous with our money because we can make more. We should be stingy with our time. And we do that by turning our values into time. We turn our values into time. So the way this process works is you have to manifest your values on your schedule. Okay, If you don't plan your day, somebody's going to plan it for you. Your kids, your boss, your spouse, the news, the media, somebody's going to suck up that time and attention if you don't decide in advance how you want to spend it. Because remember, you cannot call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. I'm going to say that again. You cannot call something a distraction unless you know what it distracted you from. So if you have a, a blank calendar with nothing in it, what the heck did you get distracted from? <laughs> there was nothing on your schedule. So you've oh, got to plan that my schedule now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is what's so important. So many people will put work-related items on their calendar, which is very important, but that's not the first place to start. The What I talk about in Indistractable are these, these, these three life domains. The first life domain is you. If you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of other people, you can't make the world a better place. So the first thing to do is to look at your week ahead and ask yourself, how would the person I want to become spend time taking care of themselves? And it's not up to me or anyone else to tell you how to spend that time. It's up to you and your values. So if exercise is important to you, right? Everybody says, oh, uh, what do you value? Health, health is more important than anything. As long as I'm healthy, as long as my kids are healthy, that's, that's all I need. Well, do you have that time in your schedule, right? Do you have that time to exercise? If you say, sleep, oh, sleep is super important. We've all read a million books on how important sleep is. The science is unequivocal. Do you have a bedtime? <laughs> I used to yell at my kid and say, oh, you know what? You have to have a, you go to bed you pass, past your bedtime. But she called me out. I was a hypocrite because I didn't have a bedtime. Now I have a bedtime. So that time can be spent doing anything you want to do to take care of yourself. If you want to play video games, if you want to watch Netflix, great. I'm not going to tell you not to, but have that time on your schedule. Then comes the relationship domain. So many of us are suffering from this loneliness epidemic in the industrialized world because we don't have time on our schedules for the people who matter to us. So you've got to have that time scheduled for your friends, for your family, for your siblings, for your uh, you know best mates. You've got to have that time on your schedule. Don't just leave it up to the last minute. Finally, the work domain. And work can be subdivided into two types of work. We have what's called reactive work, which is the responding and reacting to the messages, the notifications, the taps on the shoulder. That's reactive work. And that's going to be part of everyone's day. But what you have to make time for, which many people don't, it's a big mistake, is reflective work. You have to put time on your schedule to strategize, to plan, to be creative, to think for God's sakes. All of these things require you to work without distraction. So if you don't make that time for reflective work, I promise you, you're going to run real fast in the wrong direction. So that is absolutely critical to plan our time, to plan our week. 
based on these three life domains. And when it, so I, I'm fully in an alignment with what you're saying there. The piece about putting yourself first, though, is quite difficult for um, my clients. So putting yourself first in the calendar and doing the things that are going to um, like be in alignment with the values sometimes comes into conflict with other values like family right. and relationships. Right. And my clients always talk about the guilt of putting themselves first. So yeah. do you have any words of wisdom around mitigating the guilt? Yeah. So one of the, the aspects of why a time box calendar is so much better than, for example, to-do lists. To-do lists are one of the worst things you can do for your personal productivity. Most people don't use them correctly. They, they have this unlimited list of things that they want to do. And then day after day, week after week, they come home from work. They, they're exhausted. They look at this list of things they still haven't done. And what does that do to their psyche? If day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, you didn't do what you said you're going to do, loser. So that becomes to take this real psychic toll and people start saying silly things like, oh, I'm no good at time management or I have short attention span or whatever silliness they come up with. They're not broken. It's this stupid to-do list technique that's broken. Because the biggest problem with to-do list is that they don't have constraints. You can always add more to a to-do list, which is why time boxing is so much better. Because just because you start with values around you, it's not where you end, right? I want you to put down things that, that the person you would want to become does to take care of themselves. But that doesn't mean you don't then adjust it later on. Meaning you put all the things you want to do with your time based on your values in advance. Okay, You put that all in your calendar. But there's no way you're going to be able to do everything. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to put the things that you want, that you think are important to you to live out your values as they relate to these three life domains of you, your relationships, and your work. Invariably, there will not be enough time. Without a doubt, there will not be enough time. So what I'm forcing you to do is then to make trade-offs based on your values. So that doesn't mean that just because you put in all that time for yourself that you stick with it. No, you're going to say, wait a minute, if I you know, spend all day reading and uh, at, the, at the spa, well, I'm not gonna have enough time for work or my family, right? So now I have to make some trade-offs. Maybe I need a little less time for myself. So it forces you based on that constraint to make these adjustments. But once you make those adjustments and you set your calendar, now you have to stick with it. Because the difference between traction and distraction, remember distraction is the opposite of traction. The difference is one word and that one word is intent. So the time you plan to waste is not waste of time. As Dorothy Parker beautifully said, time you plan to waste is not waste of time. So if you plan to putz around on Facebook, do it. There's nothing wrong with it. Enjoy it, right? But do it on your schedule and according to your values, not someone else's. So if it's on your calendar to watch Netflix or play video games or be with your kids or whatever, great. Now that's traction. Anything else is distraction. So I'm forcing you to make off, make those trade-offs, realizing that there's only 24 hours in a day, which of course is so much better than what most people do is, oh, I want to spend time with my kids and I want to make a lot of money and I want to start this side hustle and I, I want to write a novel and I want to do, do all this stuff, but where is it in your schedule, <laughs> right? So I'm forcing you to make these trade-offs. Got you. So really what we're talking about is a hierarchy of the values when you talk about the trade-offs, what's more important to you at this particular moment in time. And then making based on how much time to devote to it. Yeah, exactly. so it's not it's you, you can't say like, oh, my kids are more important than my health. That's a, that's an impossible trade. Therefore, I don't they to... get all of the time. Yeah, yeah exactly. we're, we're not saying they get it. It's <clears throat> how much time would the person I want to become spend with my kids? 
it's not 24 seven. It's, you know, kids are very, very important, right? I love my daughter to death. I'll do anything for her, but I don't want to spend all day, every day with her. I got to do other stuff in my life as well. Right. So even if it's a very important value, it doesn't mean that it needs all your time. It's how much time is appropriate for the kind of person you want to become. Got you. And I think there's a couple of points that I want to pick up on there. So the first of all is around that to-do list. I know you've read my book, to-do lists really activate our pusher part of our personality. You know, always uh, have a massive to-do list. It kind of drives our performance unmercifully. Even if you get to the bottom of the to-do list, you can just keep adding to it. So it can really like cause a lot of stress and burnout long-term to actually just have a to-do list. So I'm fully on board for doing things differently for sure. Um, (laughs) The other thing that you talk, well, actually I want to ask you a kind of a quick fire question because it kind of fits into this topic. So I have one of my clients before we came on this podcast, I asked my clients to tell me what questions do you have for Nia? Because they've all read your book because I always um, like tell them to buy it (laughs) or send them copies of it. So one of my clients said her company enforces dual factor authentication. So like when they have to log on to different systems, they have to use their smartphone to get onto those systems. Then it happens. Oh, I'm on my phone. Oh, I'm doom scrolling. And this is happening multiple times a day because they have to keep logging on using this dual factor authentication. Mm, So I wondered what thoughts you had around that. Yeah. So you're saying, so this is an interesting question. I haven't heard this one before. So you're saying they have to log into dual factor authentication, but they really need to, they need to get into the the app that allows them to do the work they planned. But then in the process, oh my gosh, there's Instagram and there's Facebook and there's whatever. Exactly. That's the idea. Okay. So this is where in the book, we talk about hacking back external triggers. Okay. A big one is that we don't need those stupid apps on our home screen. We have multiple screens, right? So you can use the front page of your home screen for the most important apps that you're using time and time again. And then you want to tuck away all those potentially distracting apps somewhere else. Now, that's easy, but you can do a lot more. For example, we can use all kinds of amazing tools that will block out certain apps during certain times of day. There's a wonderful uh, uh, tool called Unblock. I think I here I have it here. This little NFC chip that okay. in order to get into certain apps, Instagram and uh, Twitter in my case, I have to touch this to my phone at certain times of the day. And then it only lets me check for five minutes. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's amazing. Super quick, but this, this is high tech, but there's a lot of low tech solutions. For example, you can put in uh, everybody's phone. Everybody's phone comes with Apple screen time and Google well-being, which restrict you can say during these times of the day, I only want to use the app so much, for example, or not at all. So all we have to do is use the technology that's already in our fingertips. We just have to use it appropriately. Um, But let me just, let me back up for a second. Those are more the advanced tools. The most important thing we need to realize is why we are checking in the first place, which is why you have to follow these steps in order. We skipped over the most important step. We went to step two, which is about making time for traction and scheduling and all that. We talked about hacking back external triggers, which is step number three. The most important step is mastering internal triggers. I'm telling you, the reason that you know we blame the two-factor authentication and then, oh my goodness, what do you know, I'm on Instagram? We blame Instagram or the two-factor authentication. We know time studies find that 90% of the time we get distracted, nine zero, 90% of the time we get distracted. It's not because of what's happening outside of us, it's because of what's happening inside of us, right? These are called internal triggers. Boredom, loneliness, fatigue, uncertainty. 
if we don't understand what we are trying to escape, I wish I could tell you it's Mark Zuckerberg's fault. I wish I could tell you it's Apple's fault. I wish I could tell you it's Silicon Valley's fault. It is not. It is we are trying to escape an uncomfortable sensation. If it's a task you love, you don't get distracted. It's only doing the stuff that doesn't feel good, that is uncomfortable, that is hard, that is stressful, that is uncertain, that you're looking for distraction in the first place. So if you don't know how to master internal triggers, they will become your master. So what you have to do is to have these arrows in your quiver that you can recognize, ah, okay, I see what I'm doing here. I'm trying to escape the fact that I don't wanna do my work right now. Okay, let's deal with that. What tool will I use at my disposal so that when I feel discomfort, do I try and escape it with distraction or do I do what high performers do and use that discomfort as rocket fuel to propel me towards traction? So at an extreme level, say it's me and I'm writing my PhD, this is a true story, um, and I had to buy a new chair before I could get started or paint the whole house inside and out before I could get started in writing. That would be an avoidance tactic because it's uncomfortable yeah. to write up my PhD. <laughs> Wonderful example. And it just goes to show how it's not technology's fault. By the way, I did the same thing. So I, when I started this book, I read before I, I started writing it, uh, I looked for the solution elsewhere. Like, why would I write a book if somebody already knows all the answers? So I read all the books about, you know, digital minimalism and stolen focus and all that stuff. I read all this stuff. And basically, no offense to any of these authors. There's a lot of great work that they're doing. All these other authors basically say the same thing. Stop using technology. It's technology's fault. Put away the phone. It's not the answer, as you just said, right? Like I used to sit down at my desk and uh, I bought myself a, a flip phone from Alibaba, like one of these 1990s phones, remember that we used oh, to use back yes. in the day? No <laughs> apps, no web connection, no browser. I even bought on eBay a word processor, right? With no internet connection. I thought, okay, now I'm gonna finally be able to write, no more distraction because no more apps, no more internet, here I go. But you know what? There's that book uh, on the bookcase that I've been meaning, there's some research I need to look up in that book or man, my desk is so dirty. Let me just clean this up or, or let me, you know, this trash bin needs to be taken out. And I would find every reason to get distracted because I didn't want to do the task at hand. And so that's why we have to start from first principles around why we get distracted in the first place. Because the fact of the matter is, whether it's too much news, too much booze, too much football, too much Facebook, you will always find distraction unless you recognize the fact that distraction is an escape from an uncomfortable sensation. And this isn't just in getting things started either or maintaining the work. So I discovered this when I was trying to finish work as well, you know, finishing the book. I had in the end 130 references and I kept saying I can't possibly submit it yet to the editors because um, there might be a new piece of research that comes out that contradicts it, contradicts it in some way, or I might mm. not have had the correct reference or all the references. So I was really stressing about actually hitting send until it was like perfect. But if right. I think about the internal trigger again, it's about worrying if I'm going to be found out to, you know, have done something wrong or not had the latest thing in there. So again, it's an internal procrastination technique. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. And getting to the heart of that matter and figuring out what is that discomfort and how do I deal with it rather than trying to escape it. That's the most important rule. If you don't master the internal triggers, the internal triggers will become your master. Uh, and so we have to start there and everything else is frankly abandoned. Nothing else will work if you first don't establish practice. Now, it doesn't mean we all have to go to therapy and talk about our childhoods. 
It just means we need practices in place. We need that toolkit ready to go. Ah, okay, I see what's happening here. That's boredom. That's uncertainty. That's loneliness. That's uh, insecurity, whatever it might be. How will I deal with that discomfort? Do I follow my usual script and try and escape it? Or do I have some other tactic that will help me be productive and move forward? Yeah, good. I'm I'm fully on board for that. Um, at the moment, I'm going through a process of sitting with uncomfortable feelings instead of trying to, oh, I could just be really positive about this. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. I, and yeah. That's a that's a killer insight, what you just said, because I think so much of the self-help industry is about uh convincing people that somehow happiness is the goal, that contentment is what we're looking after. And that is an unreasonable goal <laughs> because evolution did not make us to be continuously happy. That that doesn't make any evolutionary sense, right? Think about it. An organism, in order to survive, always wants more, always needs to be dissatisfied. That's what pushes us forward. So the idea here is to get comfortable with discomfort because if you think about it, time management is pain management. Time management is pain management. I would elaborate that weight management is pain management. Money management is pain <laughs> management. Impulse control is fundamentally dealing with discomfort. And we have to recognize that fact that that is, that is the most important lesson I can give people out of this book. It, because then once you realize that, you realize all human behavior is just about pain management. But then when you realize it, right, that that is all it is. So, so you know, if you think about it, fundamentally, why don't people accomplish their goals? No matter what the goal is, what's the number one people don't accomplish their goals? The number one reason is they quit right? Pretty common sense. Don't accomplish your goals because you stopped. Why do people stop? Why do we quit? The number one reason we quit is because we don't feel like continuing. Mm. We don't feel like continuing. There might be a way. Most of the time there is a way, but we didn't want to continue. I didn't feel like exercising. It's hard work. I didn't feel like continuing to write my my paper or my dissertation. It's hard. I didn't feel like uh, just keeping, you know, continuing this business, whatever the case might be. We don't feel like it. Right. And when you boil it down to that fact, I think it becomes a much easier dragon to slay. Right. It's just emotions. It's like if a, a two year old throw, throws a tantrum. Right. We don't say, oh, the, the, the two year old doesn't feel like uh, like like it. So then the world has to stop. No, we deal with that emotion. We realize that these emotions are like waves. They crest and then they subside. And we need tools to deal with that that uh, sensation in a healthy way, just as a toddler might. Uh, or we have to get really strong at carrying them out of places where they're getting and screaming, for sure. <laughs> but just acknowledge that emotional pain is real as well as physical pain. It's a real sensation that's happening in sure. the body, whether we've made it up in our own heads, you know, like right. we've triggered our own thought process about what might be, could be, ah, freaking out, it still inducts real sensations in the body. So, Absolutely. I mean, yeah. all pain is real, right? Because all pain is in the brain. But just because it's in the brain doesn't mean it's uh, it, it, it's debilitating, right? And I think I think the pendulum has swung a little too far lately that we think, oh, if it doesn't feel good, it must say something about my character or about society or about whatever. No, most of the time, it's just resistance. It's just the fact that uh, your brain is a cognitive miser and it's trying to save you from work. It's trying to save you from discomfort. So it's, it's not that we have, should, should ignore these feelings. We should listen to these feelings. The key is to reimagine them, to reimagine them. I think we are putting, we are spinning emotion in the wrong way many, many times. I, you know, and, and I hear many commentators talk about this, about you know, listening to your inner feelings, telling you, you know, guiding you. That's true to some extent, as long as 
the message is interpreted correctly, right? So uh, for example, for a long time when I was writing and part, part of the reason I was getting so distracted writing the book, you know, I told you it took me five years to write until I learned these techniques. And then now I'm indistractable before I wasn't. When I was writing, it was difficult. And all I wanted to do was go email or, you know, check the news or go do anything but writing. I would interpret that the script in my head was, you know, if I was a real writer, this wouldn't be a problem, right? Famous oh authors don't have this problem. I, I'm, a, I'm a fraud. I'm faking it, right? It, it can't be this difficult for the best. And now I don't say that anymore. I reinter, and of course that only made things worse because now not only did that lead to blame, it also led to shame. And shame is a very uncomfortable internal trigger, oh, yeah. which caused me to want to escape even more. So it led to this spiral that, that didn't make anything better. So instead I changed the script. Now I still feel the same internal triggers just as powerfully, but I reinterpret that feeling. It does, it's not my soul talking, <laughs> right? That's an interpretation. Instead, I have a mantra and I say to myself, I close my eyes, I take a deep breath and I say to myself, this is what it feels like to get better. This is what it feels like to get better. See, it's a reinterpretation of that feeling. You know, pain of any kind, emotional or physical is simply a signal. It's up to us to decide how we will interpret that signal so that it's a helpful signal as opposed to a harmful signal. Interesting. You kind of future pose yours. I say to myself, this is what it feels like to be in reality. So mm, that's also think. good. Fantastic. Like, it is real. Like, yeah, totally. I love it. Real life. <laughs> um, good. So I want to know a little bit more about the word intent, because you've talked about that earlier, you know, how to be more intent. And for me, I call it intentional in your life, in your career. So we, did you ever have a phase of being a little bit more unconscious in your career, in your life? And then what happened to cause you to go, okay, now I actually need to take charge and take control and be more intentional in my behaviors and actions? Or have you just been born this way? No, 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 no. I, as I mentioned, I was very, very distractible. That's why I wrote the book. So, uh, you know, for me, it was a particular inciting incident where I was with my daughter one afternoon and we had this beautiful day planned, just some quality daddy-daughter time. And I remember we had this activity book of different things that dads and daughters could do together. And one of the activities in the book was to ask each other this question. The question was, if you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I remember that question verbatim, but I can't tell you what my daughter said, because in that moment, for whatever reason, I just had this one thing that I had to do on my phone real quick. And by the time I looked up, she was gone because I was sending her a very clear message that whatever was on my phone was more important than she was. So she went to go play with some toy outside. And so that's really the moment that I realized I had to reassess my relationship with distraction. And, and But to be honest with you, it wasn't just with her. Right. It was I would say I was going to exercise, but I didn't. I said I was going to eat right, but I wouldn't. I said I was going to work on this big project. And yet 20, 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour later, eh, there was other priorities that came up. So I, I noticed that it wasn't just about my phone. It was about anywhere in my life that I wasn't doing what I said I was going to do. And, and, and the more I explored this problem of distraction, the more I realized that I had been thinking about it all wrong. I thought it was just about willpower or just the phone was the problem. But really, the, 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 there's a systematic way to think about distraction. Uh, and, and, and it wasn't until I really dove into the research literature. You know, I, I, I read a lot of nonfiction and I don't particularly like these uh, more autobiographical books that says, oh, here's my secret to success. It's going to work for you too. That's very nice. But I need to see the studies, right? Like yeah. I want to see the research. I'm a scientist. Right? You're talking I about need, your I citations. Need the data. <laughs> exactly. 
So that's why, you know, in my books, there's 30 pages of citations to peer-reviewed studies. So I really wanted to start from, from bare bones to figure out, okay, first principles, what is distraction and how can we finally overcome it? And I learned that a lot of the conventional strategies I used to use, like just using a to-do list without a, a time box calendar, uh, a lot of this conventional advice just doesn't work. Thank you. Thank you for sharing, you know, some of the things that went on around um, making the changes in your life as well. Now, one of the books we've not talked about yet is Hooked. You can see it behind you as well. I was listening to it a lot recently. And there is a section in it that I've also come across myself in the literature about cognitive dissonance reductions, which is a mouthful in and of itself. And just to give you some context, so lots of my clients who are thinking about making a change in their career, they'll feel really stuck, but also their confidence has decreased over time. And they'll say things like, um, well, I've got to stay in this role because I kind of might need it for the maternity leave in a few years and I won't get that elsewhere. I'll have to start from scratch. Someone else might say, well, I don't want to start again my career like completely from the beginning or um, I'm, I've negotiated part time work and everything I look for has full time positions. So this is just how it is. I just have to stay where I am. So when you think about that concept of cognitive dissonance reductions, can you tell us, first of all, what it is and how my clients are using it to remain stuck? Yeah, well, cognitive dissonance is when you have two opposing ideas at the same time, right? Uh, and and that's uh, that that can cause a lot of friction uh, from uh, between what we want and where we are presently. And um, what we find is when people don't have agency, when they feel like their agency is reduced, their ability to control change. This is literally maddening. I mean, there's a beautiful study done at Oxford by uh, two researchers by the name of uh, Candy and Stanfield. And they found that the kind of work environment that causes depression and anxiety disorders in the workplace, it's not what kind of work you do. It's not about working a sad job or whatever. It's, it's about the kind of work environment you're in. And it's a confluence of two factors, high expectations coupled with low control. That type of work environment, high expectations and low control, literally drives us crazy. It, it is a causal effect towards depression and anxiety disorder, which is very rare in the social sciences to actually show a causal effect, but that's what these researchers found. And so anywhere in life where we have that situation of high expectations and low control, by the way, if we have high expectations and high control, no problem, right? People rise to the occasion if they have agency over that condition. It's when we have high expectations and low control, there's nothing we can do about it. That's when we start to have burnout, depression, anxiety disorders, all kinds of bad things happen psychologically. The solution to that is finding where you have agency, right? Where do you have what we call an internal locus of control? So many times when, when folks are struggling with feeling stuck for one reason or another, the best thing we can do is to ask ourselves, well, how long do we want to be here for? Okay, I get it. Maternity leave makes a lot of sense. So if you want to have a kid and this organization has great benefits uh, that will allow you to do that, maybe it's a great choice to stay, right? It's not up to me or anyone else to tell you not to. How long is that going to happen for? What, what's the timeline? Let's let's actually write down, okay, I want to be from here to here in so many years. That's my plan. Now I have agency over it. I control it. I feel like I, I have some, some, uh, some, some impact there. It's not happening to me. I am willing it to happen. And we find that that's actually very psychologically powerful uh, anytime we can give uh, ourselves or others greater psychological control. And I think that's such great advice. It, for me, I always talk about it as in 
making the best of your current situation and putting those time frames around that can certainly be a really helpful and useful thing so that right. then you know by the way Sorry yeah. to interrupt you, but also we see this with distractions as well. One of the best things you can do if you find, hey, I'm getting distracted with social media, plan time for social media, yeah. <laughs> right? Allow like, it. Literally <laughs> put it in your calendar. I'm going to yeah. go on Facebook from 7 to 9 p.m. That's what I want to do. And there's nothing wrong with that. What's wrong with it is when we're using it throughout the day to escape our uncomfortable sensations every five minutes. Rather, if you put in your schedule, it, it's it's not a problem anymore. Now you've turned distraction into traction. Got you. Got you. So helpful. I don't do that currently. So that is going to be one of my decision points after this one. Um, So this podcast is about career, but it's also about confidence too. Um, And I wondered if you'd ever had a time in your life or your career where your confidence kind of dipped a little bit or you were struggling with that. And what was going on for you around that time? And how did you like move beyond it? All the time. <laughs> I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not just any time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it happens It happens all the time. I mean, it's uh, a very frequent internal trigger as I'm writing. You know, will this be interesting? Does anybody want to read this? Like, will this even get to a conclusion or point that will be helpful for people? There's all kinds of doubts. I mean, doubts are, are constant. Um, and I, I think the the idea, though, what's, what's really carried me through is to, at least what works for me, I don't know if it works for everyone, is to to reframe, again, reimagine that internal trigger we talked about earlier into something positive, something that's motivating. So for me, one of my, another one of my mantras is to follow my curiosity, right? I just want to see what's going to happen. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it doesn't work out. I just want to see what's going to happen. So even if I'm doubtful, I want to follow this until the end. So I, you know, it's like watching a movie. I, I want to see what the conclusion is, <laughs> right? So to me, it's following my curiosity. That's really gotten me through these periods of doubt. Uh, good. So I do something similar because I'm a scientist. I, I just say treat it like an experiment. If yeah, that's a great mentality. It doesn't, you know, do a different experiment. Right, right. And it doesn't have to last forever. It feels in the moment, oh, it's going to take so long. The idea, by the way, with, with time boxing as well, is to think like a scientist. The idea here is you're not a drill sergeant. You're not beating yourself up if you didn't do exactly everything on your schedule. It's to be a scientist. What does a scientist do? A scientist does. A, a scientist has a hypothesis, runs an experiment looks at the result, and then runs another experiment based on those results. Exactly. So that's what we do. The time box calendar, we say, okay, here was the week I planned. Here's why it fell off the tracks for one reason or another. How can I make it easier to follow the week ahead? And then I iterate week after week after week until it becomes effortless or almost effortless. I like that concept. And I always ask people to review their weekly plans and see uh, what's a 1% improvement you can make on that weekly plan from the one before. Um, so you kind of get those um, incremental improvements over time. Uh, love that. I've got kind of two questions then before we finish today. The first one is from everything we've talked about today, I want to make sure that I accurately represent you. So is there anything else that we haven't mentioned that you would really like to um, for people to know about you? No, you 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 nailed it. There's there some great questions. I will say um, there's a lot more in the book. So if you're interested in this in uh, indistractable, if you go to indistractable.com, there's actually an 80 page workbook that's completely complimentary. We couldn't fit it into the final edition of the book. It got too long, so we decided to to give it out for free at indistractable.com. So check that out if if you want to learn more. Um, we will definitely put a link to that in the show notes as well for everybody. And my final question for you then is about a reflection on yourself. So if you were to go back to any point in the timeline of your life 
and whisper a piece of advice in your ear mm. what like uh where would you go back to and what would you say to yourself yeah so i i remember um uh, I don't know if they do this in the UK. Do they have prom? Is that a thing in the UK, or is that well, just? A I'm US too thing? old for that because we just have <laughs> like a, a school disco, but they do have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now. Okay, yeah, but when sure. you were in, when you were in high school, did they they did that kind of thing? Well, no, it it was a school disco, but they do have but, prom now in the UK. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So when I was a teenager, I grew up in Florida, and uh, I remember prom was like the biggest thing. It was such a big deal, right? You only get it senior year. Um, before graduation and people rent tuxedos and corsages and limousines. It's like, where are you going to go for the after party? It's like such a big deal. And I remember that being such a big, and of course now it's laughable, right? Like who cares, right? Like it's just a party, you know? But at the time it was like, people got really excited and stressed out about it. And I, I did too. It was like a big deal at the time. And um, I remember when I was raising money for my, my second company, I had an executive coach, uh, Dave Cashin, and I was really stressed out. You know, I had employees that were depending on me. If we didn't raise this money, the company would have to be shut down. It was a very stressful time. And I remember he said something to me. He said, you know, Nir, this is just prom. It's just prom, right? Like, it seems like a big deal now, but in the big scope of things, it's just prom. Like, it's going to pass, right? This too shall pass. And I think that's a really great thing. I wish I would have known that lesson earlier, maybe not to take things quite so seriously because everything in the course of time is not as great or as bad as it seems in the moment. Uh, so so I think that's something that I try and remind myself that um, you know when, it, when I'm stressed and oh, this is a difficult situation, I try and it's not always easy. <laughs> it takes some work sometimes, but to remind myself that in the course of time, things will be fine. It's just prom. I'll remind just myself prom. of that when the book comes up. It's just prom, it's fine. <laughs> So I want to thank you so much for joining us today and I will continue to be uh, telling people to use your book in conjunction with time and energy management. So thank you so much, Nir, and have a great day. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Women in STEM Career and Confidence. To get further support in your journey, join me in Breakthrough Unleashed on Facebook.